Welcome to The Collector's House, a Matches Fashion Podcast. I'm Danielle Rudeutschen. Each episode features a conversation with a creative mind about the things that inspire them or that have given their life meaning in some way. From books, to art, to a piece of jewellery, these objects are collected into a cabinet which resides in physical form in the attic at 5 Carlos Place, the Matches Fashion Townhouse in London. On a hot summer's afternoon in 2018, I sat down to chat with British fashion legend Lucinda Chambers. Over elderflower water and olives in her back garden, we discussed her eccentric upbringing and how she got her foot in the door at British Vogue, where she worked as Grace Coddington's assistant and eventually rose to become fashion director. A veteran of the fashion industry, she also talked about working for Marnie and her new label Colville, and told me about how she shops, her love of collaboration, the art of learning to be stylish, and why she always carries a tape measure. Help yourself, everybody, to more of that. Oh, thank you. I'm going to top up. Top up. Nice sounds on the Yes, top up. Nice sounds of ice clinking. Yes, summer's evening. Mm. Parrots squawking. <laughs> Chimes ringing. The parrots, the parrots of West London. It's so okay. exotic when you see them. It's, yeah. sort of, it's sort of like, it's magical. I'm going to spot see one some, for you. If I see some yeah. Yeah. one. They yeah. actually, they sometimes go in the tree behind our apple tree, behind there, but they're usually to the left in the tree just over there. They're definitely... Like, we'll, we'll, they become, them, we'll spot them like when we finish. Spots. What's weird is that you don't really see much English birds. I don't really see like starlings or sparrows. No, but I do well, see, they're... Yeah. They Robin. There's the Robins Robin. here. Um, do you do gardening? I water a lot. Mm. <laughs> I wish I could say I garden. <laughs> um, I snip and water. Mm. There, there you see, that's, that's a parrot. <laughs> Amazing. I never get used to it. Mm. Are we on? Yes. We're on now, great. Um, Lucinda Chambers, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. We're sitting in your garden in West London on a very hot mm. summer's day. And we've just been talking about the um, green parrots that live in the trees around here yeah. that have sort of taken over. It's quite amazing. Yeah, it is. It's very exhausting. So we might hear some squawking in the background. Yes. And also we can hear your wind chimes. Which I know, is also I'm sorry, really it's very no, noisy. It's, I, I, I'm enjoying well, the sound Actually, what you don't hear is the traffic. I which know. is incredible. Is it that you've got this sort of amazing wall of greenery, which I think is yes, absorbing. Yes, I feel I'm getting, is, is over grey, we'll be sort of buried under the uh, greenery in a minute. Yeah, it's true actually, it's like mm. it's an oasis. It's very it's quiet. It's really, really lovely. And you've been here for a really long time. Yes, about 30 years. I mean, but it's yeah, changed it a bit. would be, it, well, yes, not, I mean, occasionally I'll kind of repaint a room, but probably yeah. once every five years. Yeah. Um, but the area as well, I mean, it must, what was it like in Shepherd's Bush Do you know what, that's what's ago. amazing about it. It hasn't changed, and that's what I love and really appreciate, really? because we were just talking about, you know, you can go, you can trot up the road, just as I went up the road to Damascate, yeah. and you get, you know, amazing olives and hummus and aubergine dips and... It's a kind of big <sighs> Middle Eastern It's a grocers. Middle Eastern supermarket. Yeah. It's so fresh and cheap. And that's what I sort of love about Shepherd's Bush, is that it hasn't got sort of notting hillified you know it isn't kind of full of rich bankers it's it's still quite full of the people who originally lived here and you know now probably i couldn't you know we wouldn't be able to afford to live here maybe so really glad that we just stuck (laughs) 
you got friends, neighbours, is yes. there like a strong community? Well, yes, and actually I have to say, very lazy socially. I mean, it was highly unusual that I went away this week, that we went away this weekend, because most of my friends do live in W12, within walking distance. So, you know, no driving, so you can have a glass of wine or two, and we just trot around, sort of seeing each other. So, um, yeah, it's really great, actually. I don't know whether I've done that by design or serendipity. Yeah. So you've always had connections, well, not always, but you've had strong connections with this part of town. And, of course, because your new label, which we'll talk about soon, um, Colville, is also a reference to a, an area in yes, West Notting London, Hill. Notting Hill. And actually, funny, I'll just, there's a, there's a, the reason why we've never moved as well, as well as nothing could be packed, there aren't enough boxes in the world to pack up this house. But apart from that is when I was a child... We moved every 18 months, but only on page 58 of the A to Z. So it was walking distance for my mother between the Bompton Oratory, because we're Catholic, and Harrods. Not that we could afford Harrods, but she just liked to look. We all liked to look. I liked to look in the pet department, and then the clothes, obviously. And uh, we would go into Harrods, and we would try things on, and my mother always, something I still do carry a tape measure with her and I still always never go out of the house without a tape measure um, and she would measure all the clothes and then we'd go home and we'd copy them because she was an amazing seamstress so what we would do is we moved every 18 months she would do up the house or the flat around our ears my brother and me literally would be sort of she, she was amazing at wallpapering she did it all herself all herself knocked down walls she was a dry stone waller she's incredible with her hands and actually, that's one of my things I was going to mention. So, possibly as a consequence, I can't bear to move. <laughs> <laughs> so why were you moving around so much? Because how she made uh, money. How she made any money. It's amazing. She made, you know, she just bought and sold, bought and sold. And, and I think it was another chunk of... Was know, it always in London or did you start? Always in London, yeah. yeah. So you were born... Born in London, in Cadogan Square, and didn't move uh, far. Actually, I don't think I was born in Cadogan Square. We lived in Cadogan Square shortly after. Um, beautiful. I mean, they're always amazing locations, but not, but you know, pretty shitty flats. Where was your dad? Oh, he was. He was around. He was around, sort of losing and making money in equal measures. What did he do? He was in advertising. So you said that you'd put one of... You said, oh, I'll put that in my cabinet. What was the thing you were going to mention? Well, I was going to put in my mother's signet ring. But my, oh, my father's alive, my mother's no longer alive. But this was the ring that she always wore. And when I see her friends, which I do from time to time, or people who knew her, because she always had very young friends, mm. um, they always comment on it, and they go, I'm so glad you're wearing Annie's ring. And my mother was amazing with her hands, as I've just mentioned. So... So... I have this really good visual memory of my mother making things. Like, we always made our own clothes. We always... I always made my own clothes for my dolls. I played with dolls to a very inappropriate age. I sometimes <laughs> think I'm still doing that. I'm not calling models dolls, because I find them intelligent and interesting people, but I'm still fiddling around with their clothes and their hair. And we always made... You know, it sounds corny, but we always made, like, theatre things out of cornflake packets... And the other day, actually, I was grouching a table with a lollipop stick, and I was thinking of my mother so much because I was making a mosaic table of all the china. I've got three boys, we've got three boys. They've broken a lot of plates in their time. I always kept the broken plates. So I made this big table 
out of all the broken plates because they all had interesting designs on them. And and as as I was grouting with a lollipop stick, I looked at my hands and I saw my mother's hands and have such a visual memory of this ring because that's exactly the sort of thing she would have done. And, And I thought, I'm completely happy doing this. And I suppose it is where I'm happiest, which is creating something and making something that's, you know, we were very get crafty. <laughs> we were very get crafty. <gasps> crafty is such a thing at the moment, isn't it, with all the digital stuff. But I, I like this so. idea of, um, like, you know, it's like self-sufficiency in a way, isn't it? And this yes. idea that you... Reuse. Reuse yeah. and make it your own as well. Yes. Um, which I think is And it has another life. Yeah. Something has another life to what it was born, you know, unlike what it was born to do. Yeah. It goes off. Because um, Jess from our social media team and I were talking about your Instagram account on the way here and saying, mm-hmm. I was like, she's got a very good Instagram account, have you seen? But I like this because I think you you make it useful the way you talk about these styling tips that you do and like I think you had a Zara bag and you were like I just bought the Zara bag maybe I'd put some like black ribbons on it rather than the stripy ones and it's just quite a nice idea of making something your own and I was thinking you know you've obviously that's something you've always done yes I think I th- well, actually when I was at Vogue I think it was a great uh irritation source of irritation to Alex our editor because she used to say why can't you leave the clothes alone please leave the clothes alone and I just can't it's like a compulsion it's like (laughs) if I buy something I have to do something to it it's almost like a sort of yeah maybe a compulsion that you have to do something to it in order to make it your own but isn't that the point of the stylist Alex Shulman the editor then why was she saying leave them alone is that because she always thought the clothes were better if I didn't do it (laughs) (laughs) and uh, so you know she'd go the clothes look perfectly nice until you put chin straps on them or they look perfectly nice until you put rope around the belts or you you know but I think now more than ever that actually it's it's when there's so much stuff out there uh it's wonderful to individualise things, and and I think if you can do that in a, if you can show that, I love I love that I love showing people how to make things look a little bit better. I really do. I think it's a, it's a it's a wonderful thing to have, you know, to mm-hmm. want to do. I mean, I just really like it, and and I suppose it leads me on to a thing where I really really believe that you're not born with style. I think some people are, and I think, oh, that's amazing. You know, Diana Vreeland, I mean, fantastic. But but actually, even Diana Vreeland, you know, sort of self, I was going to say self-medicated, self-taught, you know. <laughs> possibly t- self-medicated. Yeah. Because it is quite a sort of compulsion. But you can learn how to be stylish like anything else. It, it can be a craft. That's so interesting. How do you think, if somebody said to you, how can I learn to be stylish? What would you say? Oh my god! Give, well, give me a couple of days. I would love that. <laughs> I would love that. I I would love. I would. I would love to be able to impart that. I think. I, I mean, although I don't think I'm particularly stylish, but I think I. I think I do certain things and wear certain things that are that are quite appealing, not to everybody, but to some people, and that's great. But. Um, I think it's a craft, and I think you can make lots of mistakes. But I think you keep on having to make those mistakes. And I think you keep on having to experiment. And I think a lot of people... What's the sadness for me, I think, about fashion? Fashion, not clothes, is it can be frightening. And I think clothes shouldn't be frightening. They shouldn't be a source of anxiety. In an ideal world, they should be 
something to take pleasure from. You know, I don't think, you know, I don't spend huge amounts of money on clothes, but I blooming love them, you know. And I love them from wherever they come from, you know, whether they're expensive, not not expensive, vintage, whatever. Oxfam shop, trade, you know. Do you shop a lot? Yes, I do. I think, well, I look a lot. Yeah, I do. I think I... I don't shop a lot for very expensive things. I think I'm very careful about the expensive stuff because it's it it's quite often crazy money. So you need to really know that you're going to be in love with it. And actually, what's interesting is, well, I don't know if it's that interesting, but I I would say, weirdly, I will spend a lot of money, say like on a white shirt. But I won't spend a lot of money on a print. But sometimes I will. I just, and then sometimes I'll spend a lot of money on something that I absolutely fall in love with that makes me feel so guilty and sick. Sick with how much it's, you know, it's like a sofa. Um, but I know I'll love it forever. But it's got to have that. I always think, will I wear it when I'm, when I'm 70? If I won't wear it when I'm 70, I don't buy it. How did you end up... So you were in London already, moving around a lot, shopping, going to Harrods... <laughs> what, 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 what sounds very lolly dar. What were your teenage years like? Uh, quite rackety, because I left home, I went to art college. Where did you go to art college? Hornsey, College Vard. Uh, I was really hopeless, so uh, my mother and I both went to art college at the same time, because we really had run out of money, and my father had left by that time, so we both got a grant. My mother said, let's go to art college, and I'm like, are you joking? We're we're neither of us really good at what, art. Were you, did you, it sounds like you were really close friends with her. Uh, she was the sort of woman that nothing shocked her. Nothing. So you could tell her all about your inappropriate behaviour and she'd say, darling, I think we need to take a Valium or <laughs> have a hot bath. Uh, you could tell her all about your, yes, all about your problems. All about, she had a very young mind. She was always curious. Nothing shocked her shocked her all my friends went to her with problems a lot of them went to her when they just shoplifted from Harrods and she gave them a glass of sherry I mean she she was a sort of incredible person and somebody recently said she was a really 21st century woman because she had no formal training about anything but when she was 58 we both went to art college and she went on to write 10 books for Thames and Hudson and lecture all around the world and became the number one expert in her field and built a studio and moved to Oxford and was incredible. I did appallingly at art college. Everybody just thought I was a middle class and nitwit and they probably weren't wrong. And and because I was so untalented in the art department, I discovered the Perspex department and I started to make jewellery and I started to sell it. And I flogged it to Camden Market and then to shops like Start Naked in Camden and to Liberty. And I started to make a tiny bit of money. And then I moved into a squat. Where was and, the squat? Uh, Belsize Road. I go past it now and it's so far and bollocksy. <laughs> uh, so what was London like then? What, what kind of era are we talking? 80s. Late 70s, you, early 80s. Were, did you, were you part of that whole um, New Romantics? Yeah, was it? wore, you know, what kind had of things multicoloured hair. Yeah. Oh, like... Well, there's a funny story where Mario Tessino saw me on top of a he was on the top of a bus and he looked down and he was like that is a freak <laughs> and that evening he met me and he said I always knew I'd, you know, he said I knew I'd meet you because I just saw you and you looked like a freak so I did love to experiment 
and I never left my hair alone for a minute so it was all different colours and I went to like you know when you go to that like models evening and you can do it for free I was never out of the salon and uh, so I made all my clothes that usually fall apart uh, it lasts for sort of probably about seven and a half hours um, just enough for a night out just for enough to do the job of work at Vogue actually. Oh, and so you were at Vogue already at this point? No, I wasn't. I was still at art college. I was making jewellery, and then I, and then a piece of jewellery, a pair of earrings, horrible, zigzaggy, neon, flash, Bay eighties flashy. Yeah. yeah, totally of, of its t- time. Uh, got into a magazine, and I never really read magazines. I couldn't believe it. I was like, oh my god, there's a process where you actually touch this thing, and then it ends up in a magazine it seemed like magic I mean it was so incredible it was like Cinderella it was sort of amazing and I just sort of like a light bulb went on and I just thought that's what I'm going to do if, if if I can be part of this process or if this process is at all possible I would love to find out how to do that and so I thought well I'll just do everything to do with fashion so I worked at, I mean but nothing you know I didn't know anybody in fashion I you know got a job at Topshop um, I made some clothes for a theatre company, took it up to Edinburgh. I was a terrible wardrobe mistress. I think I got fired. And then I rung Vogue up. And they, and thank God, it was, I was so lucky. The personnel officer, head of HR, Angela Simon, said she picked up the phone because her assistant was ill that day. She picked up the phone. She said, come in in your lunch hour. So I trusted in, probably wearing a tutu. And she said, who do you know here? It's her first question. <laughs> and I said, nobody. And she went, well, you don't know anybody here? At Condé Nast? Nobody. And I went, no. And she was amazing. We had a chat, and then she wound me up. She said, don't take another job. She said, I'll find you a job. Might take a while. And she wound about three weeks later, and she said, I've got you a job. It's the worst Why job in the building. <laughs> it was. <laughs> what was, it? What was it? <laughs> it was secretary to the petty cash woman Oof. called Lily Davis, who was a demon. He used to you throw barrows at me. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> what do you Not th- bad. No. What do you th- why did the um, personnel manager, what did she see in you, do you think? I don't know. I think she probably saw uh, that I could graft, I think. I've always been a grafter. I think maybe a bit ballsy to ring up. I don't think I was particularly confident. Actually, maybe I was. I grew to be quite... I mean, I then became quite frightened of Beatrix Miller, who was the editor then, and I worked for But I wasn't frightened of her at the beginning. I learned to be frightened of her, and then consequently Grace. But I don't know what she saw, but she she said, you've never sat behind a desk before, and that could be a problem. And she said, and you can't type. And I said, well, give me a week, and I'll learn how to type. And I remember my mother bought me a book of how to type, and we were at the kitchen table. And by the end of that week, I could type a business letter. I don't think I was very fast, but no, actually, I'm good at I'm okay at typing now. Did you in good stead? Yeah. Um, yeah. So and so you and then you sort of eventually you became assistant to Grace Coddington. Yeah. Who was the fashion yes, director? Yes, she was. Yeah. What was that like? Amazing. I think she taught me everything that I know. Really, she she was incredible. She is incredible because, and I don't think anybody else has ever been like this. Is that she had no kind of formal education but she so everything she saw it was like you know she didn't do a levels she had none of that so it was like she saw everything for the first time it was almost like a childlike appreciation of 
looking at things, whether they're Matisse or Edward Weston or Norma Kamali, who we were just talking about. You know, it was like she saw everything for the first time and could see it in a very modern way because she didn't see it, she didn't see anything in a sort of historical context. So everything was really fresh. And I think I've, I really hope I've learned that from, you know, I think the way of looking at the world, and I think being a stylist, we're so lucky in that respect, is that you, you're a storyteller and anything can spark off a story. You know, a packet of Quality Street with their funny, sparky wrappers. You know, you think, that's what I want to do. I want to do, I want to do fashion like Quality Street wrappers or I, I want to do all the hair like funny little boomsticks or, you know, I don't know. It's just a way of not seeing anything for really precisely what it is. And Grace was incredible. You know, she was incredible at that. Incredible storyteller and then obsessive about the picture. So, an attention to detail, amazing. And... Tell us about when you went to New York with her oh for my the God. first time. <laughs> well, I can tease her about it now, thank God. At the time, it was traumatic. But at that time, the assistants didn't really travel with the editors. The editors did everything. We're so spot now. But at that time, you know, you travel, the editor travelled alone. And it was Norma Kamali's first collection, and I sort of think that I kind of really worked very hard on this story for Grace and it was a kind of athletic story with a model called Susan Hess and the hair was being done by Christiane and and I saw Norman Kamali's first collection and I you know sort of highlighted it to Grace and it was all kind of sweatshirting and raw skirts it was fantastic and worked really hard on this story and Grace went into Beatrix Miller the editor at the time and said I really want Lucinda to come to New York with me and it was just like it was unheard of. It was so incredible. I think I was probably 21. We got to New York. Christiane did the first buzz cut that ever happened on Susan Hess, shaved her hair, which he does quite a lot now. And so it was amazing. Arthur Elgort was taking the pictures. Susan Hess was a former ballet dancer, so she was pirouetting in this and all kinds. And Grace turned around to me and she's got this rather kind of wonderful sing-song voice. And she went, oh, you know, what's happened? Can I have the white towel? And I went, white towel, white towel. Never told me about white towel. I haven't packed white towel. Grace went, yeah, I want a white towel. And I went, oh, don't worry, Grace, I'll nip back to the hotel, jump in a cab. By the time she's on the hair and makeup, I've got the white towel. She didn't speak to me for five days. <laughs> I got back, I didn't know why. I knew I'd screwed up, didn't know why. And uh, I spent quite a lonely five days in New York. And when I got back to London, a couple of days later, somebody stopped me in the corridor and went, heard you forgot the white towel. I was like, oh, it was the white towel. Anyway, I should pass Excellent. that on as a, you know, all graces doesn't have to pack a white towel. <laughs> was, she, was she quite grumpy on the whole then? No, she wasn't. She was, she was, she was exacting and she was eccentric, but she had such a vision and I think we knew that at the time and so I think we just felt very lucky to be working for her but I was a terrible assistant and actually after about three years she couldn't wait to get rid of me so I was sort of moved like past the parcel but actually it was great for me because I moved on to other people uh, and it really got me my start because I moved on to the beauty editor who hated shoots and so that's when I really churned the shoots out and really made mistakes and found kind of I wouldn't say my own style because that sounds really grand but just found a way of doing my own shoots that you know yeah, so it it was great. But now, and in fact, 
I read uh, when Grace's book came out, there was a chapter and there was quite a bit about me being such a terrible assistant. Um, yes. well, and about forgetting her phone number. Yeah, it was really mingy pants, actually. Did you talk to her about that? Yeah, of course. Because I'm not scared of her at all. But she did put, actually, that she had never met anybody who was so passionate about clothes. And I thought that was... I thought that was an incredible thing to say. I was so chuffed with that, actually. Um, but, yeah, I think I, I think she was... There's nobody else quite like her. What else would you put into your cabinet? Oh, yes, I was thinking about that. So... I would put a DVD, we had a boy nanny, and it was sort of like, I'd never really heard of a boy nanny before, because we're talking a long time ago when I would employ a nanny, but uh, we had a boy nanny for about 15 years, he, he always comes to say so, he lives in uh, Budapest now, and he's married, um, he won't have any children, because he said he's sort of got his, which are my three children, who treat him like a child now anyway, um, but he made me, a, he was a musician, and he was a fantastic nanny. And after that, we only had boy nannies. But he made this DVD, I think it was for my 40th. And it was, he did it with the three boys. And it was called Mimi Be Good. And it was on the uh, Chuck Berry song. And all the boys were really little. And they all, they all do these dance routines. And he coached them. And they screw up a lot. So there's the film, and then there's the outtakes. Where Bren is like practically ripping their heads off he's so impatient with them and it's just they just look so adorable the boys I mean they've turned into great big hairy beasts six foot you know they're all over six foot but they're so gorgeous and they're all kind of they all dressed up in my clothes and and they're all singing along and Bren's playing the guitar and my husband's very sort of grumpy in it and it's oh my god it's that's like if there was a fire I think I would have to say that for so sure wonderful um and then just going back to what we were saying earlier about um, working at Vogue, um, I, th I expect you, I was just thinking, because you started with Beatrix Miller there and actually went through, you probably saw quite a few editors. Uh, was there well, I went to Elle and did, uh, we started British Elle, so that was amazing, and that was with Sally Brampton. Uh, and then I went back and Liz Tilberis was editor then, and then Alex uh, took over from Liz. So... Not many. So you weren't there for the Anna Winslow years? No, uh, funnily enough, I left the day that she came and I came back the day she left. Mm. And weirdly now I'm working for her. Yes. So it's a... Uh, and maybe that sort of so I'm dip of, you yeah. know, it's great. Yeah. What's it like working for American Vogue as opposed to British? It's completely different because it's such a different process. Um, but I enjoy it very much. I enjoy anything, really, that makes you learn new ways of behaviour uh, I find it interesting I mean my partner and I are starting a digital company and uh, so that's been a huge huge learning curve and actually I think I was possibly the last person at Vogue to get a computer so but it's fascinating what's and, the digital company? well it's not we're not talking about it yet and sorry that was a bit of a tease to say that but mm. all I mean is you know, it's just great to keep on learning, mm. I think. Uh, and like with an Instagram, you know, I mean, I, I'm i not obsessively on it. I, I think I started it, well, I know I started it almost a year ago because my children said, Mimi, I think you should do an Instagram. And, I was, and I'd always 
never I never followed anybody. I didn't really kind of know what it was actually. And then uh, and that was a period when I just left Vogue and I thought oh, I'd like to do pictures, you know. And it was sort of during the summer. Mm. And uh, and I love it. I mean, I, I'm not. I don't do it very often and not very much, but I I enjoy it. Mm. Enjoy it. What about your your aesthetic and your own personal? Because I think your pictures have a look to them, um, wouldn't you say? And I was just wondering, just going back to what you were saying about the beauty shoots and how you arrived at that particular look for the pictures, which some people have described as bohemian, British, very British, bohemian, eclectic, romantic. Yeah. It's funny because, yes, I guess, I guess, I'm, and I don't know what, I just do what I do and I don't know what look that is. I think, I think I've had periods. I mean, interestingly, I think I like a lot of, I always, throughout my whole period of Vogue and with Elle, I loved working with new photographers and young photographers. So, I mean, my last shoot at Vogue was with a photographer called Jack Davidson and I've just done a shoot and he's very modern. I mean, he's not romantic at all. So I, I don't, I think a lot of my pictures weren't romantic, but I think I got that sort of reputation or, or I, I, I wouldn't even say I had a reputation. I don't know. But yes, I think people think I did a lot of tutus in my time. Yeah, uh, you think of sort of Kate Moss and... Yes, and yes, I think that was a very yeah. successful shoot for us. But, but actually, I think I don't have a look. I mean, I sometimes wish I... Which I don't wish I had. I don't know. I just do what I'm interested in. But I, but I like lots of different. I mean, I think we were talking about that before. There's, you know, sometimes I just like a lot of stuff. I mean, I like flowers. I like stripes. I like glittery things. I like drained down things. I like black and white things. I like. There's nothing really that I don't like. I, I think everything's open for, for, looking, if you if you see what I mean. And. Uh, I mean, I've just done a shoot for American Vogue with Jackie Nickerson, also, who's, I think, an unbelievably zeitgeisty, modern, wonderful photographer who doesn't really do fashion. Nothing's romantic about her pictures. Uh, they're in hard light. She usually shoots in Africa. She usually shoots Kanye West. Uh, so, yes, I think there's periods and there's been times when I always return to something romantic but was I wouldn't say I'm preoccupied by it. Was there a, a shoot or a, t a period when you were styling that you think back on now and think that was the sort of the Niplu ultra of what I did or no. that's my favourite no. moment? No, because I think I think when you do something and I don't know if this applies to other sort of creative areas that I think possibly it's it's good and it's bad about fashion is that it is all about what's next and I think that's tricky sometimes I like longevity and I like things especially clothes to become old friends uh, I like pictures to last I like clothes to last I like stuff to last actually but I think I also never look back so I've never kept any of the stuff that I've ever done. So I, I wouldn't have like a portfolio or anything. Uh, so I'm always thinking about the next shoot or the next collection, you know, for Colville. It's like, 
what's really nice about it is that we've decided to do what we call continuativo. You know, like the trousers I'm wearing. I mean, I love these, and I would love these in every... Your Colville trousers. Yeah, my yep. Colville trousers. I'd love these in every fabric, and I think we're going to do them in every fabric. So They're a classic. They're, they're a classic carry... for us. Yeah. They are, because they're just... Like, they're the trousers we all wear. Sorry, that's really clustering in the background. But uh, So I think that that's really what we're trying to achieve at Colville, and I think we always feel that. And we're, we always would do that anyway. It's not something we're trying to achieve. We, you know, we're doing it, which is that we're not doing new collections that fell out the last collection. We're doing things that just continue everything else and continue on and to build up a wardrobe and to, you know, add on in... And then there'll be things that you fall in love with because you will fall in love with a print, but you'll also have a pair of plain black, really chic trousers, but you'll also have a kind of bonkers hat. And then we do jewellery that will always be quite classic. Like these earrings I'm wearing are very... You can wear them every day. You know, they're not bonkers but then we have done some bonkers ones as well it's quite a modern idea isn't it and this is because we're sort of moving seem to be moving towards this seasonless yeah way of doing things yeah without and actually that was what was great at matches when we said you know we're not gonna you know probably well i know we'll never do a show you know we're done with doing shows i mean i've done shows all my life all my working life i've done shows but not because you know we hate shows because i love doing shows but it doesn't feel we don't have the appetite for it. We feel that the money could be spent elsewhere and doing something in a different way. And I think we'll just try and do it very differently from what we've been used to do, you know, doing. There's no formula anymore, I think, which is what's so great. I like that. How is it with this new label, Colville, compared to your experience designing, designing for Marnie? When you, which you worked for for, for quite, it was quite a few years. Oh, wasn't well, it? Since it started, twenty-eight yeah. years. Yeah, yeah. We we were, we we started. Uh, it's it's different and it's familiar. So it's Molly and Kristen. Who is it? Kristen or Kirsten, Kristen? Exactly. They were both at Marnie. With, they were both at Marnie. Yes, and Molly I got from London, and Kristen came because of Paolo, who I'd also employed at Marnie. So we, what's great about Colville, and actually we were saying this to our some people recently when we were doing an interview that you know we're a startup but we're kind of like an old startup because we've all worked together so we've got none of the problems of a startup yeah. in the sense that it's like a are we all going to get on <laughs> yes we are we've all worked together for over 10 years uh, do we love each other's aesthetic yes because we all chose each other so it's really great in that respect and yet it feels utterly different because it's our own thing and you know my husband always says you know don't you ever want to have your own company because I've you know worked for part of 10 years did their first show stayed with them yeah for t- over 10 years and I was like oh, don't you want your own label and I was like no I'd never want my own label and he's like yes I'd love to you know when Molly and Chrissy said we're going to start this label will you I was like so about turn why wouldn't you want your own label oh, I thought I don't want the responsibility I want to be free I'm a frigging Sagittarius you know, why would I want all that? And you, you know, seem to thrive on the collaborative. To, oh, I love that. Yeah. That it's so funny you should say that. That is my best thing. I mean, Alex once said, if you could ask every designer to make something up for you, that's what you'd actually ideally be doing. And it's true. I mean, or, you know, I can pick up the phone, to Stephen Jones, and go, Stephen, I'd love a kind of like a weird beanie hat that's like a sort of duck with the beak that's and he's you know and he'll say do you want to be wearable or do you want to sell it or do you want it to be photographed I know, all three all three Stephen yeah. and the collaboration and the he has done the hats for yes, Colville, he has. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
But the collaborative side, oh my gosh, I just, well, I love people and I love I admire creativity and if you can have a little inroad into that and get your minds together it's just so it's not splendid isolation it's so the opposite and I think that's always been something that I've really enjoyed actually let's go back to the cabinet because I'm aware oh, okay. that we haven't gone it's so fascinating all the stories but uh, I would have a big part of a ch- uh, big part of my life is spent reading because actually it's good it goes on from the collaborative conversation that we are having is I love being alone and it's really important to me to spend quite a lot of time alone and I go a bit bonkers if I don't have that because I read a lot and I really love reading I don't really watch television so books are really really important to me and I read probably a book a week if not more I'm a very quick reader. I can't remember anything I've read, but I do remember this book. Because it was a very sad but incredible period in my life when my brother, who lived a few doors down from here, was dying. And I said to Alex, you know, I wanted to leave Vogue because I wanted to look after him. And Alex said, take as much time as you like off. And in the end, actually, he only lived for six months after the prognosis but he so he knew he was very he knew he was terminally ill and it was a privilege it was a privilege to look after him he was incredible and shortly after he died somebody gave me a Joan Didion book and I'd never read Joan Didion before and it was called A Year of Magical Thinking and I've given it to a lot of people since it's so incredible about death and dying but not in a morbid sad or sentimental way but in the most lucid intelligent extraordinary way it's a most fabulous book and while she was writing it she was writing about her husband dying and what's so incredible is that as she was writing it her daughter had just died but she didn't put that in the book so I would say to anybody who hasn't read Joan Didion, I think she's a wonderful writer. On a purely frivolous note, she's an incredible style icon. You know, she's as thin as a pin. And actually, there was the most wonderful... OK, so the TV that I will do watch are documentaries. So, like everybody else in fashion, I will love, not so unusual, the Bill Cunningham film, the uh, the Eye Has to Travel, the Dan of Reeland film, uh the documentary about Joan Didion, the documentary about Nina Simone, the documentary about Marlon Brando. Lots of documentaries. Um, the documentary about birds, winged migration, about tracking birds all over the world. Amazing. But this documentary about Joan Didion is incredible. She's You can't believe that... We're so lucky that she's still alive. She's as thin as a pin. And her skin's like sort of parchment. All those sort of amazing, enormous amazing, hands. Amazing. That amazing. The screen. Yeah. Sort yeah. Of, they seem bigger Incredible. than she is. And then there's an amazing documentary called Cutie and the Boxer about the artist, the husband and wife living together. They store amazing, uh, yeah, documentaries, I think. Oh, and who's that incredible woman with the big round specs? Who's oh, so yeah. fabulous? Uh, Iris Apple. Apple. Her one. 
so magical. Would you put documentaries and Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Lucky you've thought of that. Yeah. <laughs> um, have you met any of the... Have you met Iris Atfall or Joan Didion? No. I knew Bill Cunningham really well. And he's divine. He called him, He always used to say, Hello, child. And uh, Did he take photos? Did he snap you? Yes, and masses. And not, not because I'm so stylish, but because I thought I looked okay and I would literally be wearing a waistcoat basket on my head thinking this doesn't look like a waistcoat basket this looks like a really interesting wicker hat and nobody will think it's a waistcoat basket everybody knew it was a waistcoat basket <laughs> and Bill used to take and I used to save up all my pennies for like a Yoji Yamamoto jacket so I would wear floor length Yoji I'd look like a sort of big black well I'm not very big small diminutive crow with a waistcoat basket on my head thinking I look kind of intelligent and interesting I look like a idiot but he always took pieces of me and I used to think I used to sort of think there's a landfill because it was before digital full of unpublished horrible pictures of me somewhere along the motorway anyway, oh, I'm sure he was always amazing. such a delight because he just it was all about the other person he was sort of extraordinary he was such a you know he just documented such a huge part of our lives culturally incredible what? What do you think about that? Do you th- do you agree that there's been a, some sort of shift in fashion recently? Especially, it's tied up with the whole, mainly with Instagram and the internet, and this whole thing of people being able. To, well, it started a bit with just you saying that Bill Cunningham reminded me of street style, but it sort yeah. of started a bit with that thing that happened a few years ago when it was like there was all the street style yeah. stars, and I can't yeah. remember some Vogue editors or someone said something about how. Oh, but yes. I think it got taken out of context and it spun into this story. Of yes, it was a big Vogue sort of hoo against the normal people. Yes, it was a bit of a hullabaloo. Um, and then no, you know what I think it was. I think somebody said something about the front row. It doesn't sound like. I know it sounds really weird, but when we were on Vogue, we we didn't really care where we sat as long as we could see everything I mean I felt that very strong and sometimes when you sat in the third row or the second row a PR would say come and sit in the first row and you'd give an eye fine as long as I could see everything it's fine but something was t- you're right something was taken out of context it didn't sound like anybody I recognised at Vogue and it was something about the bloggers were in the front row something like that and it just felt like suddenly there was this sort yeah. of wave of almost yeah. it almost felt like all these uh bloggers and papers and had been waiting to sort of attack and it felt like the whole thing blew, <laughs> out, blew way die. out of <laughs> yeah I just all felt like it blew, blew way out of proportion um, but that was just almost like yeah. the first instance of it but now it's sort of become more of this thing of I suppose the people who normally used to observe fashion have become now part of that of the conversation. conversation which I think is fantastic I think what's wonderful about bloggers and influencers and people putting putting up their stuff, posting their pictures. I think what's wonderful is it's so democratised. And I think the bad side of that is that anybody can do it. And I think the good side is that anybody can do it. I think it's wonderful that everybody has a voice. Because it goes back to that thing that I was saying when I first applied for a job is who do you know and it was the first thing that I changed when I became a fashion director was I don't want to see any CV that's the niece or nephew or cousin or goddaughter or godson of somebody I'm not interested I'm not interested I want to interview anybody who's done something different 
who's grafted, who shows a passion, a curiosity. And it's something I think I really did change and I'm really proud of that. And everybody knew never to say to me, I've got a cousin. <laughs> I go ballistic. <laughs> but I think in that respect, fantastic. I mean, I'm all for giving anybody a leg up and then they've got to prove themselves. But I think, you know, I think it's great that people feel that they have access. Like anybody can email me, anybody can email you. How great is that? People were frigging sitting there ivory towers. They were unreachable. Now everybody's reachable. And I think that's good. Yes, I know there's a lot of clutter to get through. You know what? Get over it. Because in there, you'll find people who have, you know, that you need to meet and have something to say, something to show, something they've done. I think we're so lucky to have that access. And what do you think about, like, Virgil Abloh, who just did, you know, as much publicised show yeah. in Louis on his first yeah. show the other day. That he's almost like, I, I felt yeah. like a sort of culmination of that in a way, because yeah. he just spent totally. all his time on completely, Instagram. Uh, completely sort of... Sort of high, not even highlights, but is a complete product of our time. So interesting. I hope he'll manage to navigate through those waters because that's a lot of collections he's got to do. Yeah, it's a lot. Who do you rate? Who do you think like young talent, up and coming, whether it's in London or um, elsewhere? Who do you think's got got it? You know who I think is incredible is Craig Green. Because I think his shows just go somewhere else. And sometimes you see a show, like very occasionally, where it just blows you away. Because you just think it's a different point of view. Because that's all you're looking for is a different point of view. Just a point of view that's different. And I think I saw that with John Galliano's end of St. Martin's degree show with Camilla Nickerson striding down the catwalk. Uh, was she was, in that show? Yeah. Wow. And it was as great then as a Margiela show now. It was just all there. Christopher Kane, same thing. All there. There's some designers who grow, which is great, you know, if people give them the time, which I think they should have, trying to grow into their groove. And other designers just hit the ground running. They're like, wow, they're just they're there. I think Craig is one of those. It's just like it's all there. It so makes you think the colours. Do you incredible. know him? No. Just follow him on Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> I don't actually. I should. No. Yeah. I'm so. You probably follow him. I'm such a. I doubt it. Uh, I posted one of his things on Instagram. I mean, not like that's any great shakes, but just, you know, uh, I don't often post sort of fashion on Instagram because I, I just think I'm doing that all day. But. Yeah, I think he's wonderful. I love Grace Wales Bonner. I think she has a very particular point of view. It's very quiet. It's very personal. Love that. Yeah. And also, I, I think I know people would, who listen to this would be really interested to hear your thoughts on you know the 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 styling, the Vogue years highlights, the things that, that got the most headlines. Um, I'm thinking specifically about Kate Moss and the Duchess of Cambridge. Yeah which are things that always get, sort of come up Do they? in searches about you and stuff. Yeah, so I wondered if, you know, Kate Moss is an obvious one to talk about because she was so associated with British Vogue. Yes, Bow, yes, yes. Um, especially what you styled her in. And I was wondering if there are any memories or a shoot in particular oh, that stood out for you with her. Quite a lot, actually. I mean, I just... 
you know, Kate's a magical model in the sense that she's she's not Kate Moss because she's ordinary. She is sort of incredible and not just because of the way she looks, but the way she is as a person. She's so she's fragile and strong and funny and intelligent and smart and beautiful and she makes modelling she's one of those I mean I do I love Guinevere as well and I love Saskia Dubrow and I love these models who have a longevity to them because they make modelling intelligent they have made modelling intelligent because it is intelligent because nobody just stands there in front of a camera and can have a career in modelling modelling you know, they inhabit the clothes, you tell the story. What is amazing about the, the women that I've just mentioned is with every single one of them, you tell a story, you tell your, you set out your story. So like with Kate or Guinevere, you know, you say, okay, you're on this island, you're, a bit of a, you're in a bit of a recluse, you can't say whether you're divorcing your husband. Oh, by the way, it's a coat store, you're wearing some coats. But that's not the story. But you, you can't say whether to divorce your husband. So blah, 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 blah. And you're saying all this, and I know it sounds really pretentious, I mean, I'm not saying this, I'm saying this to you. I know this sounds really pretentious. <laughs> because it's narratives, and that's what... And I will always say this to girls, because... Or to boys, to all of them. This is what we're doing here. This is... I set out my stall, you know. I always say to, like, junior editors who are just starting, pay and display, pay and display. So with somebody like Kate Moss, she totally gets that. You don't sound pretentious when you're saying it. She's like... And what's so funny is that when you're looking at it on the screen... Like, you know, the photographer's just taken all these digital pictures and we're going through them on the screen. Kate Moss will say, I like her. Oh, that's good. She looks good at it. Like in a third person. And that's how she sees herself and that's why she's so darn good. Because she almost takes herself out of herself. She's not Kate Moss. She's that creature. And that's why she's brilliant. Because the minute she steps foot in front of the camera, all the body changes. The hair, the movement, everything. She inhabits that character that you've told her about or that you've discussed with her. It's amazing. It's fantastic. Guinevere's the same. I can say to Guinevere, you're a dominatrix, you're waiting, but you're a little bit vulnerable, but you're waiting for this guy to come back. First time I ever worked for Guinevere, actually, that, that was the story, and it was with Javier Valonraj, and we had this amazing set built, and it was all sort of black and red. It was very kind of like elegant, kind of weird, a bit, not seedy, kind of quite great but dirty in a sort of sub sexual kind of sub subversive sort of way yeah. Work, yeah and there was a sort of coffee table and there was sort of red lamps and sort of black lacquer and you know blah, blah. and I'd never worked with Guinevere and uh and I said you know you're this dominatrix and you're wearing because it was all black clothes that was one thing and sort of probably cocktail dresses but I said but you're this sort of dominatrix but you're still quite vulnerable so you're not really sure you're not really sure what he's going to do when he comes back you're not you're planning your moves. And I said, uh, what do you think you're going to do, Guinevere? She climbed on all fours onto the co coffee table in a <laughs> cocktail dress. And I was just like, oh, my God, she's <laughs> bloody amazing. And there, there's that picture. <laughs> I, was just like, I just thought, oh, it's, you know, and I work, I've worked with her for 20 years. She has such longevity, like you said, as oh well. Oh, my did gosh. Did she do, Paolo Reversi did yeah. some sort of... He's, we did amazing. His, we did amazing news, shoots yeah. with Paolo. We did, I've done amazing shoots with everybody with her, and she's just worn a Colville sweater. She just did a selfie for us in a Colville sweater. I mean, it's like no other selfie. And then I just haven't, you know, we sent her some stickers with the sweater, and she stuck one all over her face. <laughs> and she did a selfie, and it's she's so beautiful, and she it looks it doesn't look stupid. It looks it looks mad and wonderful. 
so grateful to her. I mean, you know, you just think, wow. What about this crazy thing about how styling's changed since you started doing it? Because, um, you know, it used to be called fashion editing and then stylists became these big stars. Oh, yes. And then suddenly everyone decided they are a stylist. Or yeah. You know, everyone's posting pictures of themselves as styled by themselves for um, Instagram and so on. Um, what are your thoughts on all that about how it's changed? I, I, I mean, I love it because I think people uh, can, can sort of experiment and take pictures of themselves and see if other people like it. And I think, you know, they're building communities. And blah, blah, blah. I suppose I personally have never taken a selfie because, not because I have anything against it, but I just, I'm, I think I'm t- too busy looking at other things rather than wanting to look at myself. I sort of think, well, I know what I look like, so I've looked at the mirror that morning. But I love looking at other people. Of course I do. I think the downside of that is when I was growing up, we all could slightly experiment in private. So the mistakes that we made, of which there were many and often, we... We, there was no sort of opinion, you know. It was just our mate's opinion, and that, you know, that was great. But it, but it was kind of very nice, you know. It wasn't because they were your mates. They're not going to, you know, they're going to go. Well, actually, well, wouldn't really wear, wear that. I wouldn't go out in that dolly. That's what I used to be called. Uh, I go out in something else or whatever. So it's much smaller. Now, of course, it's hideous when everybody comments in a negative way, and I think that is so vulnerable making. I don't know how that is. I. I don't know how that is, and I think it must be horrible if you're caught up in that sort of storm. Mm. Um, Of course you're inviting it by posting it, but on the other hand, we're all vulnerable. We're all vulnerable about opinion. We, you know, so I think, again, it goes back to what I'm saying about influencers, and I think it's lovely for people to get a sense of how you style, you know, and to get hints and tips and ideas and, you know, wonderful. But I think if it makes you nervous and scared to do something, then I think that can't be good. Mm. So I think it's like anything. It's honestly, it's like anything that's new. The needle goes into red, perhaps that goes back into neutral in a good way. Uh, I think young people's mental health is so out there and talked about now, which is fantastic. Yeah, I was going to say, because what about all the... But I think it's also isolating. I mean, I just think it's great that people feel that they're part of a conversation. But then when I think about somebody like Kate Spade, and you just think, my gosh, I didn't know her, but in this day and age, that mental health is still an issue. It made... I found it heartbreaking heartbreaking and particularly I suppose because there was somebody in fashion to all intents and purposes her brand was so upbeat it was so colourful it was so joyous and I suppose that's the only thing that I think that there's an underbelly that's lonely and isolating and and that I think is really really Mm. sad Mm. but I think thank goodness there is a conversation and that people there's all sorts of information Mm. but I I was so I I, I was really shocked with hearing that news I have to say yeah 
I suppose, and what about this? It has opened up. There's all these kind of discussions that, that that's opened up, whether it's people talking about their problems like that online, on, online, you know, we're dealing with depression and so on. But also, the fashion industry does seem. It's part of what I was trying to get at with this whole idea of fashion changing and the dial moving and fashion sort of trying to embrace this new diversity and in, in inverted commas with. Um, um, you know, multi-race, multi-body type, yep. multi-gender. Yeah. Do you feel like there is this sea change, or yes. do you think that? Yes, it's and I think it's fantastic. And I don't, there was a uh, there was there was a psychiatrist. I don't know if it was there was a philosopher. I don't know if it was philosopher. I don't know if it was Nietzsche or it was somebody very. It was a very profound thing that they said over a hundred years ago that we as a species think that there's two genders, male and female. Actually, if we were sort of an alien, we'd probably be laughing because there's male and there's female and there's probably a million genders in between. So nuanced, so different to how I grew up knowing things and I really believe that I believe that you know I know it's a sort of word the word fluidity but I really believe in that I really believe that it isn't just male and female I believe that there's a whole raft in between that we're only just beginning to not understand even just to even imagine even possibly believe that that could be a thing and I think it is a thing. Do you see it though represented in how fashion is at the moment? Do you see it reflected? Well I love, I you know, I love the way that nobody, sh you know, I, I do love this day and age that anybody can wear anything. I do love that and that nobody even bats on it. I mean I love that. I love that everything's up for grabs. I mean in my squash He'll be so cross when I say this. But, you know, I grew up... I was there for five years, and then we actually both went on together. I, I was with... One of my flatmates was um, a cross-dresser. You know, he, he loved wearing women's clothes as much as he loved wearing men's clothes. Well, he loved wearing every, every sort of clothes, actually. And he looked as beautiful when he was wearing a dress as he did when he was wearing black tie. It was just amazing. And I sort of took it for granted. It wasn't odd it was just one of those things and I think but I think other people you know he used to keep a cab waiting and he'd go in as a bloke and come out as a girl and I remember one cab driver when we were going out for a party he was like sorry mate was this was this what I don't know if I want to take you now that wouldn't happen and it's amazing so I think how brilliant that you could just wear anything mm. uh, I think that's got to be good, no? Mm. Is there anything else you put into your cabinet? Just... Yes. Two more things. I would... I've always been a big... Uh, well, I collect uh, photography. Photographs. And one of the photographs I was really pleased to get for a sort of bit of a bargain basement price because it was at an auction house which isn't very well known. And I've always been a big fan of hers was Lee Miller. And she did a picture called Déjeuner sur l'herbe, and it's a black and white. And it's of women, topless, but in kind of great modern clothes. But all the men are dressed. 
but they're all it's in a wood I'll show it to you it's, it's so beautiful and all the women are all the men are smoking they're all smoking and they're all laughing and the women look so frigging confident and they're literally all topless but the men are dressed so you know it's 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 just a very it's a it's a very sex it's really sexy and I always think I'd love to be one of those women I'd love to go around topless uh smoking I mean I used to smoke but I think I I you know sometimes when I'm on holiday I feel like one of those women just like smoking with my top off <laughs> I really like it I love it and then it came up for auction and I bought it and Why? it was really just a you know a couple of hundred quid and I was like I can't believe I've got that photograph because that's the person I would you know would a it's beautiful I'll show it to you yeah, and then the it. other thing uh if it was a personal cabinet yes I would put I think it does have to be personal okay good yeah. I've kept all my husband's love letters to me and I've got his first letter when he first met me and I'll probably put that in that's lovely um so just and then bit changes now big you know you you left Vogue magazine after I think was it 36 years no <laughs> well yes yes when one carnation in yes. total it was like yeah that so, yeah something 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 long. like that for last summer in 2017 and there was it was all over you know I, I, it was all over the papers because you famously said that you'd been fired and people were up in arms saying no one admits they get fired da, 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 and you gave an interview to an online publication that caused a lot of fuss what it did in the fashion industry um, and then you um, now that the dust has all settled from that um, I was wondered how you're feeling about it about what? About everything, that, about leaving Vogue, new, new, new starts and with Colville, seems I, to be a new yeah. chapter. Oh, it is. I think, uh, I think like anything that you didn't expect to happen, you have a kind of a shock. It's not something I would have done to myself or in the way that I would do it to other people. But having said that, it's so strange. It's a year probably now, and I am so grateful because I wouldn't have it's done kind it. Kind of why I asked. I thought that year yeah. anniversary would be quite. It's poignant. amazing, and I don't. If I'm honestly truthful, I don't often think about it because, thank goodness, my mind is filled with so much other stuff now, and I, I'm grateful for it because. A, a sort of wonderful person, actually. A few people, well, quite a lot of people got in touch, but one of the people got in touch was somebody who I'd never normally meet, and I won't say who it is, but it's it's a really big person in the city, and they said, this will be the best thing that ever happened, will ever have happened to you. And I said, well, I'm not feeling that right now. And she said, and she's very much in a man's environment where she is in her position. I think she's the only woman on the board. It's a big company. And she said, you will do something and it'll be great. And you will never have done it if you'd stayed at Vogue for another five years. Now I can say to her, and I know her now quite well, you're right, I wouldn't have done this. And I'm doing two things. I love working for American Vogue, but I also love these two new companies. I've got my own office. I ride a bicycle. I would definitely put an oyster card in that cabinet. I would. Brilliant. It's like a freedom pass. I don't spend any time in a taxi anymore. I know that sounds very la la, but we did. You spend a lot of time schlepping around, 
all of us together in a car, going to event after event, don't do that anymore, feel very free. Uh, I feel I've been given the chance to have a whole other life. And I have to say, I don't miss the travelling. I don't miss a lot of things, but getting on a flight, which I used to do for Marnie every week, at 6.30 in the morning with my little suitcase, it was a real graft. London to Milan every week. Yeah. It became like catching a number, you know, I catch a 94 bus. It was like that. I got it down pat. But you know what? I don't miss that. When I go to Milan now for Colville, we cook, we talk, we have a laugh. I don't go once a week. Uh, they come here, I go there. It's brilliant, actually. That's great. Thank you so much, Lucinda Chambers. Such a pleasure. Wonderful having you on the show. Thank you. That was an episode of The Collector's House, a Matches Fashion podcast. You can find more episodes and more about Five Carlos Place on the Matches Fashion website. And you can join the conversation on social media by searching for at Matches Fashion and the hashtag Five Carlos Place. Thanks for listening.